To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayina.com dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream a reality. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر اللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر أمين رب العالمين ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله we reached the study of the hundred and third surah سورة العصر and I want to begin by saying that even though this is the shortest surah up till now that we're studying, and the shorter one is coming later on, Surah Al-Kawthar, I find giving dars on this surah the most difficult. And it's probably the case that it will take me more than one session to uh, at least cover with you this, the notes that I've taken and the, the things that I want to share with you. And I pray that Allah Azza wa Jal gives me clarity of speech, that I may be able to communicate its lessons to you uh, with some degree of clarity and um, without avoiding too much confusion. The first thing I want to share with you about this surah is that in today's session, probably and most likely we're going to talk about an overview and kind of look at the surah as a whole instead of going into word by word by word analysis. Perhaps that will be our next session, inshallah ta'ala. But first and foremost, a bit about the coherence and the placement of this surah in the Qur'an. This is the 103rd surah, so the surah before it that we studied last week, Surah Al-Takathur, it comes right after it, and there are lots of parallels. For example, uh, uh, Shaykh Fadl Salih Hassan al-Ra'i, he says, هَذِهِ السُورَةِ وَقَعَتْ بَيْنَ خُسْرَيْنِ This surah is situated between two great losses. The previous surah said, أَلْهَاكُمُ التَّكَاثُرُ حَتَّى زُرْتُمُ الْمَقَابِرُ You were deluded by your want of having more and more and more, which was a loss. And the next surah is going to be Wailun Likulli Humazatin Lumaza. And there you find Kalla The person is being thrown into the hellfire. Narullahil Muqada. So there's loss before and there's loss after. And then in the middle is the surah that says Inna insana Lafi Khusr. This is the surah of loss. It's situated between those two. The other thing to note about this surah is that in the last uh, surah we found that. Uh, Allah Azza wa Jalla, the last thing He told us was, "Thumma la tusalun yawma idin anil naim." On that day, you are definitely, certainly going to be asked in regards to the favor and the blessings that you enjoyed. And this surah begins with the greatest blessing that we enjoy. So Allah says, "You'll be asked about all the blessings, but what's the biggest blessing? It's time itself. The fact that we have time. Everyone has time. The rich person, the poor person, the healthy, the sick, the, the old, the young. Everyone has time." So, and this is the number one thing we'll be asked about how we spent our time, subhanAllah. So Allah says, you'll be interrogated about the great blessings, and the very next surah begins with the blessing that we appreciate the least, which is Al-Asr itself, it's time. Then the previous surah talked about the great distraction. 
التكاثر. We talked about takathur being something that distra- you know, alhaqum takathur distracted you. We were too busy wanting more, competing and getting more, showing off what we have to others. This is what we're busy with. But the surah, previous surah didn't tell us what are you distracted from? You know, it's one thing to be distracted, then you have to say, what are you distracted from? For example, you could say, video games are distracting you from studying for the exam. So yes, the video games are the distraction, but what are they distracting you from? From the exam, from studying, right? But the previous surah didn't mention an. Now we talked about this last week. Usually Allah says, لا تلهكم أموالكم ولا أولادكم عن ذكر الله. Don't let your money and kids distract you. But he doesn't stop there. He says, distract you from the remembrance of Allah. There's a from. But there was no from in the previous surah. What are we being distracted from? That's the, that's the question that's left open. And in this surah we find, what is it that most human beings are distracted from and they don't do? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ When we go into the detail and the, the lessons of this last ayah of Surah Al-Asr, we'll find this is what most human beings are not concerned with. They're con- we're preoccupied with other things. They're distracted from this task. And this is the only task that can save them from loss. Subhanallah. Then in an interesting contrast, and this is part of the style of the Qur'an. The Qur'an, uh, a lot of times, it presents ideas, contrasting terms with each other. The central term in the previous surah, the central term, was takathur. And the central term of this surah is actually khusr, loss. I'm roughly translating khusr as loss. While takathur means to get more and more and more. Walaikum assalam wa Takathur means to gain and want more and more and more. Khusr literally means to lose your most essential assets. You know, it's one thing you invest your money in a business and you were hoping to make 20%, but you only made 10%. That's a loss, but you still made something. You didn't lose your initial investment. But when you put money in a business and you lose the money you put in and don't make anything on top of that either. You lose your capital investment basically. Ra'sul mal, what's called in Arabic. Ra'sul mal. You lose that too then that is called khusr. In other words, the previous surah was talking about people trying to get more and more and more, and then Allah says, no, the reality is you are in loss. No matter how much you think you've gained, the reality is that you are situated in a, in a position of loss. Subhanallah. We find that this surah is a concluding address of the previous four surahs. This began in surah Zilzal. إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا then we studied the surah after that, وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا Then we went after that, you know, الْقَارِعَةِ Then again after that, التَّكَاثُرُ And in all of them, there was the plight of the human being. Here's the reality of the last day, which was in Surah Al-Zilzal and Surah Al-Qari'ah. That's the reality of the last day. And here you are, who's not concerned at all. And that, that lack of concern was Surah Al-Adiyat and again Surah Al-Takathur. The final conclusion of all of that is the human being, in the end, because he's distracted, what's his state, is, state of affairs? He is in loss. He is immersed in a state of loss. So it's almost a conclusion to that entire discussion that's being presented in this surah. We find this surah is also very similar in, one, in many respects actually to Surah Al-Teen. Surah Al-Teen we covered a few sessions ago. And in that surah Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Famous surah, right? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Here what does he say? Something similar. He says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ But says it a little differently. This time he says, وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ It's a little bit different. Here also there is mention of the human being, الإنسان, In that surah Allah also mentioned the human being. He said, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا 
Al-insana fi ahsani taqwim. So there's mention of human beings in both. There's a mention of those who believed and did righteous deeds in both of them. But there, you could compare them together as far as their theme and their structure. As far as negative, you could look at it overview as negative reinforcement compared to positive reinforcement. In other words, Surah Al-Asr is very, uh, it's, it's the overwhelming theme of it is warning. Okay, it's negative reinforcement. But Surah Al-Teen, Allah Azza wa mentioned it even and ended it even in a positive note. There's no mention of loss, rather, فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مُمْنُونَ فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينَ لَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِيَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ It's actually positive. And even in the beginning, the human beings created in the best possible form. So there's a lot of positive lessons in Surah Al-Teen, but there's a lot of warning in Surah Al-Asr. But when you combine the two lessons together, you learn some very remarkable things. There Allah said the human being is created in the best possible form. Here He said, roughly translated, every human being is in a state of loss. If he's in the, created in the best possible form, then why would he be in a state of loss, right? You know, if you're created to, to meet success, then it's a tragedy that you're, you, you're even qualified to be successful, and yet still you ended up being a loser. You still ended up losing. So Allah Azza did not tell us that the human being is in loss first. He told us the human being is qualified to be successful first. And it's his own failure that leads him to become of those who have lost in the insana lafi This comes later on, but that declaration is earlier. I want to share with you in regards to this surah the uh, very, very profound, very beautiful things that get overlooked. In this surah, Allah Azza wa mentions four things at the end. You all know this. Four things. But three of those, or two, the last two things that are tawasi over and over, watawasaw bilhaq, watawasaw bilsabr, they're both actions. Roughly translated, they are communicated as enjoin the, to enjoin the truth, to enjoin perseverance. That's how an average translation addresses the subject matter of watawasaw bilhaq, watawasaw bilsabr. But they're actions. What's the, ayah, what's the part of the ayah before that? Wa'amilu as-salihat. They do good things. They act right. They, they they act out righteous deeds. Isn't that also actions? So Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions iman, which is a thing inside of you. It's not outside. It's on the inside. Then he mentions amal wa amilu salihat. But he usually only says those two things. He doesn't go further. But here, what does he he say? Wa amilu salihat, and then adds two different specific kinds of actions. Wa tawasu bil haq. It could have been It could have been any other action too. But he highlighted two actions. The lesson from that is these are the actions that people will overlook. And as we continue our study of the surah, we will find why is it critical to mention these actions. Other actions you will understand. By the way, when you tell someone they, he does good things, he's a good Muslim, he does good things. What things come to your mind? He prays, he goes to Hajj, he fasts in Ramadan, he stays away from haram things. This is what comes to your mind. These are the first things that pop in the mind. This is a good person, he does good things. What things don't come to your mind? Tawasi bil haq and it's critical that these things be mentioned because they cannot be overlooked. And why can't they be overlooked? The necessity of not overlooking them, especially in this surah, inshallah ta'ala, when the time comes, we'll discuss it in more detail. Then there's the issue of uh, just the word wa between all of the conditions that Allah put. Human beings are in loss, we're again roughly over, we're glazing the translation right now, and the next session, inshallah, word by word analysis. But in this last exception, human beings are in loss except two. And I'm again roughly translating those who believed, acted righteously, or did righteous, good, did good righteous works, 
and then enjoined each other to truth and enjoined each other to perseverance. But it, in between those four things, there's an and. Except those who did this and, they did this and, they did this and, they did this. You know what uh, wa does as opposed to aw? Right? Wa, what it is, is it's something you have to meet. If, if the exception is, the only exception to these people are people who do A and B and C and D. Which means how many of those things do they have to do? All of them. If you put an or in between them, what happens? You could do some, you could do some others, right? But if you put and in between them, then the only people who will meet the exception are people who fulfill all the conditions. Not some of them. They can't afford to only have some of the conditions met. They need all those conditions. So this declaration in this surah is very powerful. And the exception is only one exception. But anyone who wants to be the exception will have to meet four conditions. Usually in the Qur'an, Allah mentions two conditions. Which two conditions? الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Those two mentions two conditions. But in this surah, He mentions how many? He mentions four conditions. This is the most comprehensive place, most elaborate place, talking about the exception to those who are in a state of loss. And we'll see inshaAllah ta'ala as we proceed, why that is. I want to share with you a famous quote uh, in regards to this surah. I think it sums up what I'm trying to communicate. This is by Fakhruddin al-Razi. He said things in his tafsir that sometimes are considered controversial, rahimahullah, but we still don't take away from the fact that he's one of the greatest grammarians we ever had in our history, and one of the greatest mufassirun in our history. Some of his commentary has solved many, many problems. So we, we leave the bad and we take the good. If there's something that's controversial and it's not acceptable, or it's, you know, uh, it's a, even if you want to go as far as calling it a mistake, the issue is, who are we to judge a person based on their mistakes? All of us are full of mistakes. Anybody after Rasulullah is open to criticism. So there's never going to be such a thing as a perfect scholar or a scholar that's not going to be questioned. There's not a single scholar in Islamic history that's not subject to criticism. Right? So it's no shock that somebody comes up and criticizes a scholar and says, oh, why, do you, why do you read his work? He said this, this and this. Yes, he did say this, this and this. And I have the right to disagree. But he said a lot of good things too. And it's, you know, in the end, the criterion of good and bad is the truth, is the evidence. When somebody says things based on evidence, we take it. When somebody says things that are not based on evidence, we don't take it. The bottom line isn't the person, it's the truth itself. So we don't reject people based on a mistake that they make. I mean, think about that. If you, have you said something wrong before in your life? And somebody says, don't listen to that guy. You know that one time he said something that I didn't like, or uh, that was wrong. I said it was wrong, but that doesn't discredit the person's work. You know, a good example of that even, even though I'm not a fan of translations, is uh, the Yusuf Ali translation. Uh, Yusuf Ali rahimahullah was one of the first translators of the Qur'an in English. Impeccable English translation. He had a very unique take on riba. He had a, you know, he didn't think that interest as it is today is riba, as it described in the Qur'an and sunnah. He had a weird take on it or whatever. Most scholars didn't accept his take. That doesn't take away from the fact that the guy spent 20 years traveling the ummah, looking at historical sites and writing an extensive translation. May Allah reward him for it. He made a mistake, he made a mistake. You call it a mistake, but you don't pass judgment on the person. Anyhow, the beautiful quote from Fakhruddin al-Razi in his tafsir kabir, this is what I wanted to share with you. هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ فِيهَا وَعِيدٌ شَدِيدٌ The first thing. In this ayah there is an intense, a severe warning, a threat, uh, 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 and a warning that's filled with a promise. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى حَكَمَ بِالْخَسَارَةِ Because in this ayah Allah Azza wa Jal declared loss, utter loss, عَلَى جَمِيعِ النَّاسِ Against all humanity. Allah has mandated loss for all humanity altogether. جَمِيعِ النَّاسِ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ آتِيًا بِهَذِهِ الْأُمُورِ الْأَرْبَعَةِ Except for the one who comes to Allah who approaches with these four exceptions. 
That's what he's saying. But then he goes further and he says, وَدَلَّ ذَلِكَ أَنَّ النَّجَاةَ مُعَلَّقَةٌ بِمَجْمُوعَةِ هَذِهِ الْأُمُورِ And the language illustrates that salvation, being saved on the day of judgment, hangs in the balance of these four things. You meet these four conditions and you're saved, and you don't, you're in trouble. And because of the language, it's illustrated that, that it's illustrated that, subhanAllah. And this is why I felt it urgent to even make the announcement after Jumu'ah to invite you know, as many of you as possible to come and listen to the message of this surah because in many ways this is the summary of the entire Qur'an and in many ways this surah is a summary of all of the deen. It's a summary of the entire message of Rasulullah wasallam, which is why ulama give this surah a lot of, lot of importance. Three ayat. It's very short. Every kid memorizes it because it's easy. It's very easy. But the amount of scholarship that has been done on it is daunting. It is absolutely daunting how much work has been done on it. Now, in this series, in this series of, uh, of discourse, what I want to share with you is in the previous surahs, Allah has made comments about the human being. For example, He said a few sessions ago, we studied, يَا أَيُّهَا الْإِنسَانِ مَا غَرَّكَ بِرَبِّكَ الْكَرِيمِ Human being, what, what deluded you? What kept you away from your gracious master? What was, so, what was such a big distraction that deceived you? In other words, that you remember, الْحَاكُمُ التَّكَاثُرُ Allah is actually directly complaining to the human being in that surah, saying, what deluded you? What was it that took you away from the grace, your gracious master? Then Allah said, يَا أَيُّهَا الْإِنسَانِ إِنَّكَ كَادِحٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّكَ كَدْحًا You, you forgetful human being, you are chugging away towards your Lord. Like it or not, you are headed towards your Lord, effort after effort after effort, and you're eventually going to meet Him. There's no avoiding it. You can be distracted all you want, you're still headed in that direction. Then He told the human being, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ we created the human being in enormous toil, meaning the life of the human being is full of labor. Whether you want to live like a believer or live like a kafir, it doesn't matter, you're still gonna have to work. You're still gonna have problems. You're still gonna deal with stuff in life. So your, your life is created in struggle, why not make it a struggle that will benefit you here and the next life? Instead of just struggling, so it benefits you here and has no benefit for you in the next life. And why should you have concern for the next life? Allah Azza wa said, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ He went further a few surahs later, we created the human being in the best possible form. He was designed to, to achieve high things. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to achieve those high things because what do we find in this surah? إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ Despite that high noble status he was given, he was not, most human beings were not able to live up to that, that, high, that, that nobility. Allah Azza wa Jal makes a lot of comments about the human being with the kind of declaration that is found in the phrase Inna al-insana. This is not the only place in the Quran where we find the words Inna al-insana. This commentary about the human being occurs many times. What does Inna al-insana mean? The human being is no doubt something something. Allah is going to say something, make some commentary about the human being. We found several variations in the Quran of Inna al-insana lakafurum mubin. No doubt the human being is openly and clearly extremely ungrateful. An extremely in extreme denial in regards to his master. We found in the insana khuliqa halua, ida masahu sharru jazua, wa ida masahu khayru manua, illa musallin. The human being is created weak, pathetic, frivol, you know, frail. Something's happened to him, he gets overwhelmed, overjoyed. Something bad happens to him, he loses all hope. Allah says, Kalla in the insana la yatra. No doubt it is the human being that, it, that truly rebels. It is the human being that rebels. And the language suggests, don't blame it on anyone else. Don't say society made me rebel, shaitan made me rebel. Nobody else, human being himself, he rebels. Then he says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودِ 
No doubt the human being in regards to his master especially is very disloyal. All these commentaries about the human being, he's ungrateful, he's created weak, he rebels, he's, uh, he's uh, disloyal to his master. This is all commentary. But what's the conclusion? The conclusion is here. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ It's not an adjective of the human being. It's not a description of his behavior. It's now the consequence. What is the net result of all of these you know, misbehaviors? The net result is he is immersed in a state of loss. Important considerations before we get into the surah itself. One more is the general principle versus the exception. When, whenever you use the word illa, except, except, you are talking about what we call in English an exception. What is in majority? What is more in number? The rule or the exception? The rule is in more number and the exception is very few. You say, everybody came except that one. When you use except, you're talking about one or two or a few that didn't come, everybody else is here. Now in this surah, what is the rule? What is the majority situation? That's the rule. Human beings are immersed in loss, in doom. What's the exception? By presenting the exception as those who believe and do good deeds, etc. that we're going to study, by presenting them in the form of an exception, what we're learning here is this is not going to be a lot of people. This is going to be few. The vast majority of human beings will be in loss. That's the, that's the rule. And the exceptions will be a few. May Allah Azza wa make us from the exceptions. So now, we talked about Surah At-Teen having more of a style of, of uh, tabshir and this one having more of a style of indar, meaning good news versus uh, warning. The other thing that I, that's very important to highlight is Surah At-Teen mentioned ajr. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Right? This surah doesn't mention any ajr. Ajr means reward. There Allah said, a reward that will never be discontinued, a reward that will never be forbidden from them. He uses those words. But in this surah, there's no mention of reward. The only mention is human beings are in loss, except these people. But he doesn't say, and these people will get Jannah, and these people will get everlasting life, all of it, nothing. No mention of what they will get. The only thing that's mentioned is, these people are failures, and these people escaped. These people escaped. You know what this is? We call this in, in simple English, we call this passing grades. Somebody gets an 85, somebody gets a 95, somebody gets a 100, somebody gets an A, a B, or a C. But you know the guy who barely survived and didn't get the F? You know, there's the F, right? Let's say, I don't know, New York is 65. Is that the failing grade here in Texas? I don't know. But 65 is your passing grade, basically. You get a 64, you failed. You get a 64, you failed. Now, whether you get a 34, a 30, a 0, a 25, all of them get what grade? F. That's all an F. The only thing that will survive is 65 or above. You understand? Like passing grade or above. This surah is not talking about higher levels of success. Other surahs talk about success. They deal with what jannat, what gardens, what treasures. That's the subject matter of other surahs. This surah, the subject of it is, who is not a failure. Now I put it in, that, in those terms because I want you to understand. This surah describes the bare minimum, the bottom line. Who is above the failing grade? Because anybody who didn't meet this minimum requirement is obviously what? A failure. They're a failure. So this surah is not about earning Jannah. This surah is more about escaping hellfire. This surah is not about success. It's more about survival. Which leads me to this very, very critical discussion that we need to have today. What is the difference between talking about success and talking about survival? 
My contention is this surah is not talking about success. What's it talking about? Survival. What's the difference between the two? You see, survival is something when, you, when your survival is being questioned, you forget everything else. When you're drowning, when you're in a building with fire in it, right? When there's a danger headed your way, when your survival is in question, you forget everything. And when your survival is in question, there's no time for you to talk about your what? Success. There's no, there's no need to talk about success. I mean, if you're working in an office, and you wanna, you're talking to your boss about getting a promotion, what are you talking about? Success. But the building went on fire, and you say, let me finish talking about my promotion first. I haven't just finished negotiating with Does that make any sense? No. Because you can't talk about success unless you've already secured your own survival. You understand? So before we talk about higher levels of paradise and higher success, what do we have to ensure we're okay with? At least we're surviving, we're not in the failing grade. That's the urgency of this surah. The bare, bare, bare minimum. The survival. The survival. And you know, it doesn't make any sense for someone to talk about or be concerned with anything else other than survival if they are not meeting the conditions of that survival. Imagine you have to get out of that building and there are four doors and all of those doors are locked. Until you unlock all four, you shouldn't be worried about anything else. These are the four locks. Al-Iman, Al-A'mal Salihah, Tawasib Al-Haq, Tawasib Al-Sabr. These are the locks to your survival. You have to unlock all of these things so you and I can survive. That's the, that's the, the scenario that's being drawn for us in this profound surah. Also, this surah proves something very, very important. I keep saying there are four conditions, four conditions, four conditions. One of the benefits of knowing that there are four conditions is that this surah proves that being good on your own is not enough. Being good for yourself is not enough. Our deen is not just a concern with ourselves, it's also a concern with other people. And you're not doing it for other people, for them, you're actually doing it for yourself. And this surah is the proof. Why? Because Allah said, you are in loss unless you do, yes, iman and amilu salihah. That's for who? That's what I do. But tawasi wal haq, getting the truth to other people. Telling each other to be persevered and remain committed. Is that about you or other people now? That's others. And you know, tafa'ul in Arabic from which tawasi comes, it has ishtiraq in it, people working together. So it proves, it actually necessitates the concern for others in this quest for our own salvation. Uh, Ash-Shawkani rahimahullah commented, it includes ad-du'a ila ad-deen, wal-nasiha fi ad-deen, wal-amr bil-ma'roof, wal-nahi'an al-munkar. This tawasi bil-haq, tawasi bil-sabr, what does it include? You're calling people to the deen. You are giving people counsel and advice, that's part of tawasi bil-haq. You're enjoining and you're commanding to the good, you're forbidding and standing up against evil. This is all part of surviving yourself. You can't just be a Muslim in your own little circle and not be concerned with the evils and the problems outside. You have to, you have to take them on and at least speak out against them. A few other things inshallah when we get to the, the, uh, the nitty gritty of the surah, but uh, one last comment about the overview and we get into some, um, uh, some other features of, of the wording in the surah. One is the comment of a shafi. We find two things he said. One of them is, لَوْ تَدَبَّرَ النَّاسِ هَذِهِ السُّورَةِ If people only reflected on the surah, it would encompass them. It would be enough for them. And then another place he says, لَوْ لَمْ يُنَزِّلْ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ سِوَاهَا لَكَفَتِ النَّاسِ Had there nothing been revealed in the Qur'an except the surah, it would have been enough for people. He sees something, a shafi'i rahimahullah, incredible mind in our history, he sees something in the surah that makes him say, this is enough for people. 
If they only pondered on the lessons of this surah, what is in this surah that's so heavy that he would say something like that, subhanAllah? That's a very heavy thing to say. But I, I want to mention just some overview things. So within that, I want to say, uh, one of the comments is the difference between khusr, which is used here, and two other words that occur in the Qur'an that are similar. There's the word khasara. Okay? Like in Surah Nuh. وَاتَّبَعُوا مَنْ لَمْ يَزِدْ مَالُهُ وَوَلَدُهُ إِلَّا خسارة. Not illa khusran, but illa khasara. So there's one word that's a variation of khusr. Another word that occurs in the Quran is khusran. Khusran. So you got three words now. You got khusr, you got khasara, and you got khusran. What's the difference between them and what's the benefit of using khusr in this surah? First of all, let's talk about the word khasara. Khasara means a loss above a pre-existing loss. There's already loss, and you're adding to that loss, that is called khasara. By using, if Allah had used that word, then we would have already been in trouble and we're adding to that trouble. But Allah actually, by using khusr, a lesson we're learning is we're not in trouble. We're not in trouble, but we put ourselves in trouble. It's not like we were in trouble to begin with. So let's see how khasara, this word which means basically loss above a pre-existing loss, how it's used in the Qur'an. وَنُنَزِّلْ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ شِفَاءٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا خَسَارًا وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا خَسَارًا We do not increase wrongdoers in nothing more but loss. Wrongdoers, are they already in loss? Yes. And Allah increases them. You see the, the way it's being used? Then we find, وَلَا يَزِيدُ الْكَافِرِينَ كُفْرُهُمْ إِلَّا خَسَارًا The disbelief of this, their disbelief, the, of disbelievers, it will not increase them in anything but more loss. Loss above the loss they already have. What's the first loss they have? is kufr. Then what is the kufr above? The loss above that is the crimes they do against the believers. That's loss above loss. Their kufr was enough to send them to hellfire. But when they put the believers to trial, then they're digging their hole even deeper. So the word khasara is appropriate. Similarly, we find as I mentioned in Surah Nuh, وَاتَّبَعُوا And they followed, مَن لَمْ يَزِدْهُ مَالُهُ وَوَلَدُهُ إِلَّا خَسَارًا The one who wouldn't increase him or, or his wealth or his children in anything more than loss. In other words, they ended up following people that are losers to begin with, and following them would make them even more of a loser. Now, this is the first benefit of not using khasar in this surah as opposed to using khusr. But then there's the word khusran, very powerful word. Khusran is what's called sigatul mubalagha, hyperbolized noun in English. An empowered noun. This is also used in the Qur'an. Khusran means incredible loss, excessive loss, unimaginable loss. You have to empower the meaning of that word because it's got an at the end. When you put an at the end of a word in Arabic, it empowers it. Like you know how we say ar-Rahman? It's not just merciful, it's incredibly merciful. When you say غضبان, it's not just angry, it's furious, it's enraged. So when you say خسران, it's empowered you know, loss. It's amazing amount of loss. Let's see how that's used in the Qur'an. Allah says, خَسِرَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ ذَلِكَ هُوَ الْخُسْرَانُ الْمُبِينَ He lost dunya and akhirah. That is ultimate loss. Isn't that the ultimate loss? What's so bad about that situation? It's not something light. He didn't just lose one thing, he lost both things. الدنيا والآخرة So this is loss upon loss This, this is the ultimate loss الخسران المبين Similarly we find the word being used Allah says قُلْ إِنَّ الْخَاسِرِينَ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَأَهْلِيهِمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ The true losers are, are, are those who lost themselves and their families on the day of standing That is the ultimate loss So the real loss is not in this dunya Real loss is in the Akhirah, the ultimate one but nonetheless, there is loss taking place here also. But it's, not, it's nothing compared to the loss that is coming. 
So because it's still lost, but not the ultimate loss, the word that is balanced and appropriate in this surah is إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ If it was in the, hell, in the hellfire, then what would the word be? لَخُسْرَانَ لَفِي خُسْرَانَ Because that's the ultimate loss. You couldn't get any worse loss than that. So it's a perfect choice of word between the two kinds of words that are um, available to us. Now we're going to read something that Al-Bayhaqi rahimahullah comments on. Something really, really beautiful in regards to this surah. He says, كَانَ الرَّجُلَانِ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّبِي إِذَا الْتَقَيَا لَمْ يَتَفَرَّقَ حَتَّى يَقْرَأَ أَحَدُهُمَا إِلَى الْآخَرِ uh, he says the Sahaba Whenever they would meet two of them They would never leave each other's company Unless they would say to each other In other words they would recite the surah to each other They would recite it to each other Before they would depart from each other Why? They felt this is something extremely important To remind the other of constantly this is not something you can learn once about and move on. And this is really what I want to spend the rest of our session today on. Is the difference between studying the Qur'an academically and learning the grammar of the words, the meanings of the words, the different qira'at, what the mufassirun have said, you know, all this knowledge, all this information. When you get too tied down with the information and the technicality, sometimes you lose the power of the message itself. In the end, Allah is talking to you and me. We should have all that knowledge. We should have, we should seek to acquire that knowledge. We should seek to have deeper understanding of the Qur'an that is part of understanding the Qur'an. But we should never lose sight of the fact that in the end, Allah is talking to me like, you know, you, somebody concerned about you talks to you. And somebody concerned about you gives you advice. Allah is giving you advice. And Allah is not talking about anybody else. He's talking about you and me. Fihi dhikrukum. In it is your mention. Allah is talking about you. He's not talking about anyone else. When you keep this in mind, we learn something about this surah. Talking about it is very easy. Talking about this surah and its demands is very easy. Internalizing them is very difficult. Extremely difficult. And that's the essence of the surah that I want to capture today inshaAllah ta'ala. And we'll have a detailed study of each piece of the surah. It just deserves that much attention. It, it deserves that much attention. So we'll, we'll, we'll capture the, uh, the essence of it or try to capture the essence of it today inshaAllah ta'ala. First and foremost, we talked about the difference between two things, success and survival. Let's talk, we talked a little bit about survival, but we didn't talk about the other thing, which is what? Success. Every single human being, in their head, they have an understanding of what it means to be successful. Every single human. Doesn't have to be Muslim. Every human being. Doesn't have to speak your own language. Every culture, every society, every man, woman, and child aspires to something that they consider success. For your kid, it may be getting a good grade, success. For you, it may be a promotion or getting a job or making a lot more money than you do now or getting a certain car or marrying a certain person or buying a house, whatever it may be. There's something in your head that you consider success. And there are some people you look at and you don't even have to think about it. As soon as you see them, the, the thought that crosses your mind is, that guy's pretty successful. That one's pretty successful. How did they become so successful? I mean, in other words, you don't have to say it. It's in your head. And let me show you a, a personal experiment you can conduct. You're driving down a neighborhood, a fancy neighborhood, and you see a really beautiful house. Does your eye stay on it for a couple of seconds? Just, yeah, a couple, at least a couple of seconds. You may get distracted from where, maybe you even pull over. Whoa, that's nice. 
Because in your head, you're thinking, that person reached one milestone of success. It's in our head. That is something to aspire for. That's a kind of success. You're, coming, you're walking to the masjid from the parking lot, and you see a really nice car. Really nice car. Does your eyes stay on it for a couple of seconds? Does the thought cut? You look at the interior just a little more. Even navigation, wow, that's nice. The eye goes. It's something in your head that says, this has to do with success. Now, religiously, we can say, no, Jannah is success. Dunya is not success. We know that. <laughs> I'm not talking about what you say. I'm talking about what goes on in your head. When you, when you look at stuff. When you think about stuff. And kids are a lot more honest than we are, you know? So I did this experiment with kids. And this is true of all of us really. But I did this experiment with kids. I said, okay guys, if we're walking down the street, and we see a guy who's homeless. He's living in a cardboard box. Right? And next to him is a gate. And in the gate, there's a guy who lives in a mansion. Really wealthy guy. Who do you think is successful? What do the kids say? Honest answer. They said the guy in the mansion is successful. The guy who's in the cardboard box is a failure. Who, the one who graduated high school is a success. The one who dropped out is what? A failure. The one who won the election is a success. The one who lost is what? A failure. We, we measure success and failure in these terms. The one who got the job is a success. The one who lost the job is a failure. The one whose big business thrived is a success. The one whose business tanked is a failure. This is how we measure success and failure. It's normal. It's, it's totally normal to think like that. But we are learning something very, very radical in this surah. We are learning that all of these are not the measures of success or failure. Having a lot of wealth, having things that you want to aspire for, having them is no sign that you're successful, and not having them is no sign that you're a failure. They have nothing to do with success and nothing to do with failure. Now look, let's take some, some ancient examples. You know how there's, a, I don't know if they still have the show, I saw it at a friend's house one time. They called it Celebrity Cribs. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But they go to famous people's homes and show you their homes, They're like the custom multi-million dollar homes and stuff. Well, think about this. Who had the celebrity crib in ancient Egypt at the time of Musa alayhi salam? Fir'aun, huh? You could see his house from miles away. I mean, that's some pretty good architecture. It's still around. Right? It's pretty solid foundation. It's a world monument. One of the wonders of the... I mean, this is his crib. And yet, is he a success? One of the biggest examples of failure. When somebody's been able to save a lot of money, we say, this guy's doing okay. He's, you know, he's not in debt. He's pretty successful. He's got a good retirement plan. Look at Qarun in the Qur'an. Does he have a nice, big enough vault that people have to carry the keys to? Right? This vault is so big, forget the vault. Key has to be carried by multiple guards to go open the, the vault. SubhanAllah. But horrible failure. Then on the other hand, you have, you know, if somebody gets deported from a country, somebody gets deported, you would consider that a failure. It's pretty embarrassing and humiliating, isn't it? Was Rasulullah expelled, literally deported from Mecca? He was. If somebody doesn't have a home to live in, and they have to live out in the woods, you know how in between your developments here, there's some patch of woods, and some guy's living in those woods, you would call that a failure. That's pretty, pretty pathetic. Rasulullah had to live in a cave. For a stretch period, no food, no plate. Eating off of shrubs. Sallallahu alayhi wa The greatest example of success, and yet he's living, and if you saw somebody living like that today, you would not think success. 
That's not what would cross your mind. If somebody gets kicked out of their home, they become homeless. It's a failure. Ibrahim alayhi salam. Does he get expelled from his home? He does. And yet, the, one of the greatest examples of success in human history. What are we learning from these examples? We're learning that the way we think about success and failure is not the way Allah wants us to think about success and failure. That's, it's completely different. And then when we, when we start rearranging our thinking, we learn something very critical about the society in which we live. And all of this is the message of this surah, by the way. In this society and in the world today, there are certain things that are defined as success, and you are told that that is success over and over and over and over again. In other words, the wrong definition of success is bombarded at you constantly. You cannot so much as turn your computer on, and a banner ad will show you what kind of car you should get. And based on your searches, these are the stores that want to give you you know, a discount. And what, the billboard will show you what kind of house you should buy. Advertising in every way, shape or form, being pumped towards you. Even among our parents and our elders, among our youth, what college you should go to, what kind of job you should get, which neighborhood you should move to. Constantly we are being told, what is success? What is success? What is success? Over and over and over again. And you know, even if something is wrong, but it's said to you over and over and over again, what starts happening? You start believing it's true. You start getting affected by it. If constantly people around you are telling you and convincing you that such a thing is success, then the other thing that happens is if everybody thinks that's success, how can, I must be crazy to think no. You know, if somebody says, Brother Norman, this is, a, this is an interesting concept, but nobody thinks like this. If you have the right to say, nobody thinks like this, seriously. Get real. That's exactly right. Just because nobody thinks like this, we have assumed that it's invalid. If this was so true, everybody would think like this. But the thing is, what we're learning is truth is not sweet. Truth is bitter. Here, and it's not about any action yet. We're not, I'm not telling you about any actions. We're just talking about a change of attitude. An attitude towards this worldly life. That's all we're talking about. A change of attitude. This world has nothing to do with success. This is not to say, by the way, to avoid confusion. This is not to say that this world is evil. After all, Allah says, خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا He created for you whatever is on this earth altogether. It was for you. It was made for you. But then how do we reconcile these two things? What we learn is having wealth is not a bad thing. Having a nice car is not a bad thing. Having nice clothes is not a bad thing. But if you think that is success, then you have failed. What you, the, the, what you aspire towards is not dunya. Having dunya is not a problem. Loving dunya is the problem. Allah Azza wa doesn't talk against the one who has dunya. He talks about the one who is influenced by dunya. وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ dunya. He was, you know, the, the, the worldly life, he gave preference to it. If this becomes your preference, you know, you could be very wealthy and still not be in loss. It's, you could do that. And you could be very poor and still have dunya in your heart and you're still a loser. You're still in loss. This is, before we talk about anything material or on the outside, the first concern here is what is on the inside. So that's the, the issue of success versus survival. And we, we talked a little bit now about the rearranging our idea, our concept of what is success. Now that we've come to this point, the, the lesson to learn in this surah is all human beings are in a desperate need to survive. Human beings are drowned in loss. 
Human beings are lost. They're in law, immersed in it. What does that tell you? That tells you that there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. Allah doesn't say, إِنَّ الْكَافِرَ لَفِي خُسْرَ Some of Fasirun commented, you know, الْإِنسَانَ أَيْ الْكَافِرَ We'll talk about that. Like the human being, it's referring to the kafir. It's referring to the kafir if he is in khusr at the end. But you know, we find narrations of the sahaba who were concerned about the first part of Surah Al-Asr. When Surah Al-Asr was revealed, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرَ Those who only heard that much said, what are we going to do? Until the exception came and gave them relief, So this exception becomes critical because this becomes a matter of our survival. This becomes a matter of our survival. And if we don't address this, then there's no point talking about success. There is no success then. We have to rearrange our thinking in regards to the demands that are being placed on us in, regard, in, in terms of this surah. The last thing I want to share with you in today's session, inshallah ta'ala, is imagery. And we'll build on this imagery, inshallah ta'ala, in our next session and go and, and finish the, the word-by-word study and analysis of this surah. And the imagery that I want to share with you is one that will help you understand the larger concept of Surah Al-Asr. Imagine with me that you are drowning. That you're drowning. And you are unconscious. Two things. You're drowning and you're unconscious. Do you have a lot of time? If you're drowning and you're unconscious, do you have a lot of time? No. You don't have a lot of time. Which means... Your time is running out. And you know in Arabic, what word is used for when time is running out? The, time, the word for that is al-asr. Al-asr literally means time that is running out. It's the last part of the day when the day is running out. It's time of asr prayer. Okay? Asr literally comes from asir, juice that is squeezed out. Time that's being squeezed out of your hands. You know, asr al-thawbah even it's used. That you know, you take a cloth that is drenched in water, and when you squish it like this, all the water comes out. Asala as a verb is used like that, right? To squeeze it out. So Allah talks about this time. Your time, you're drowning. You're you're unconscious. Your time is running out. What's the first thing you need to do to be able to survive if you're in that position? What if you hope to survive? What's the first thing you're going to need? What do you think? Wake up. That's the first thing you're going to need. If you keep you're unconscious, then you're finished. The very first condition that has to be you have to wake up. And even if you were in the most wonderful dream, and in your dream you were enjoying the greatest success, you're driving, you're driving a Ferrari down, you know, this, you know, they have these car commercials with the hills and the highways on the side, the water on the other side, right? You're in one of those cars, the, top, top, drop is, the, the top's been dropped off, and you're just cruising along the highway, enjoying life, that's your dream. But when you wake up, what do you realize? You're drowning. You're underwater. That's the first condition, you have to wake up. Once you do wake up, you say, oh man, this is a nasty reality, and I was enjoying such a good dream, I should go back to sleep. If you do that, what kind of person would you be? Insane. You'd be insane. Or someone at least who has no courage to accept reality. Because they found reality to be very difficult, they decided they're gonna put themselves back to sleep, even though they woke up. Does this person, if he drowned, can he blame anybody else? The one who woke up and went back to sleep? You think? Someone who never woke up, maybe, right? But the one who woke up said, mm, this is not good. And they went back to sleep. They have no one to blame but who? Themselves. They have no one to blame but themselves. Now, let's imagine that they did wake up. What do you have to do next? Oh, it's pretty bad, I'm drowning. 
Even if you don't know how to swim, will you not use every muscle in your body to make certain kinds of motions to go towards the surface? Wouldn't you do that? And you will make certain kinds of motions that make you go further down, and certain kinds of motions that will make you go up. And once you discover which ones help you go up, you will only do those, right? You will do those. In other words, the first thing was you have to wake up, the second was you have to swim. You have to do something to try to get to the surface. When you got to the surface, you gasped for air, and you got pulled back down. You got pulled back down. And you know what you, who you got pulled back down? You won't believe this. There's a chain around your foot, and your relative, your cousin, is sleeping. And he dragged you down. And now you're drowning because of your sleeping cousin. What do you have to do now? You gotta wake him up. And you're not even waking him up because you wanna save him. Who are you waking him up for? You're, maybe you wanna save him, maybe. Maybe you don't even like your cousin, I don't know. <laughs> right? But what's the point? The point is, you're trying to wake him up because if you don't wake him up, who's also gonna drown? Yourself. So you wake him up, and he says, man, I was driving a Ferrari, you woke me up for no reason, I'm going back to sleep. Forget you. Can you just say, okay, well, I didn't like you anyway, suit yourself. Can't do that. If he goes to sleep again, what are you gonna do? No, man, wake up, let's go, let's go, we, gotta, we, gotta, we can't give up. You can't not accept reality. And you have to keep trying to wake him up until he finally says, okay, fine, what do we do? He says, let's, you say to him, let's swim together. Both of you come up together. The third time, you both get pulled down by your grandmother, by your aunt, by your neighbor, by your son, by your daughter. Does the process continue? The process continue? There's a four-part process to this people surviving. The first was they had to wake up themselves. Then they had to try to swim. Then they had to tell other people that they're tied to, this is the truth. Let's go. And even if they got tired, and some of them, one of them said, man, I can't do this anymore. We've been doing this now over and over again. I don't know if I can do it anymore. And the other one says, no. We are all gonna survive together. You have to do this. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Keep going, keep going. You ever see those kinds of movies where they're trying to escape from some army, and one of them gets tired and says, I can't run anymore. What do the others do? Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. We can do this, we can do it. And they, they get him to run anyway, even though he thinks he can't run anymore. They, 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 they work with each other because their, their survival depends on each other. They work together desperately. What does Allah say at the end of this surah? First he says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِيْخُ asr first of all, time's running out. Then he says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِيْخُ I'll translate it, human beings are drowned in loss. You see the parallel? Human beings are drowned in loss. What's the exception? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ Those who believed. Believed what? Allah didn't say, آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْقَدْرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ مِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَالْبَعْثِ بَعْدَ Nothing. He didn't mention anything. Even though all of those things are included. According to the siyaq of the surah, the context of the surah, what is the first thing these people have to believe? That they're in loss. That they're drowning. And if they do come to believe that, and they correct their iman, What's necessarily going to happen? They're going to swim and move upwards. How does Allah describe this action? They do good things. They do things that help reconcile the situation. By the way, salih is an adjective here. Salihat. Which is, literally means that which corrects something. Something was wrong and it corrects it. So they do actions that correct the situation. Literally like the guy trying to swim. But because they were tied to other people, what else did they have to do? They had to tell the other the truth. And it's not even akhbaru they told them about the truth. No, no, no. They had to wake him up and let's go, let's go, we have to go. No matter, and over and over again, Tawasi even has takrar in it. 
It has repetition in it. Over and over again they said, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. You know why? Because the people you're trying to save, even if you wake them up temporarily for 20 minutes, 30 minutes during a khutbah, guess what happens when the khutbah is done? They go back to sleep. They start drowning again. So what do you have to do? You have to go and wake them up again. Then they get sleepy again. Then you gotta wake them up again. This is tawasi bil haq. And you might get tired of doing it. You might become impatient. So Allah also adds, وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ You gotta keep doing it. Sabr means consistency, constancy, perseverance, patience. You gotta remain on point. You gotta keep doing this. Because your survival depends on it. In the end, if you do all of these things, but you have no patience, and you give up, you, you drown too. So even if you had iman, and you had good deeds, and you told people about the truth, but you didn't have sabr, you still drown. So how many conditions do you have to fulfill to survive? All four. All four conditions are required. They're, they're critical and they're necessary. Which is why there's a wa in between them. You see the logical progression from iman to amil salihat, to tawasul bilhaq, to tawasul bilsal, beautifully articulated in this surah. That, that, that this is the summarized message of Surah Al-Asr. What Allah Azza wa Jalla is talking about is our own survival. Our own, literally our own escape from the hellfire. Our own escape from impending loss in this world and then in the next. But know this, this surah is about this dunya. This is first and foremost, this is about this dunya. How do we know this? Allah Azza wa Jalla used the word, وَالْعَصْرِ Time that is running out. What is, in which world is time running out? This world or the next world? In this world, time is running out. In the next world, there's no time running out. Either you're fi jannatin, aw fi narin abadan. Are you either you're in a garden, timeless, or in the fire, timeless. Allahumma la taj'alna min ashabin nar. May Allah not make us from the people of fire. Last comment, inshallah ta'ala, and I will conclude bi'ibnillah in regards to this surah. I want to give it this much time and importance because again, I feel its message is so powerful <coughs> and so critical that all of us in our families need to understand it. And this is a surah, wallahi, it's a tragedy that we have, we know this surah, and the irony is if you're late for like, you know, the movie, and the salah is coming in the way, or you gotta go play basketball, and it's salah time, you gotta quickly get rid of the salah, what do you do? You recite that time is running out, and you're in loss. The irony of the whole thing, right? Because it's quick, short, you know, short and sweet, hit and run salah, and you go, right? We have, in, in our homes, we have big like portraits that say, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ Right next to like the, the big screen TV or like the video game console and we're playing for hours and hours and it says right there in our face, human beings are in loss. And what's their greatest loss? Time. That the time is being drained away from all of them. SubhanAllah. This is the surah to understand and it's basically at the heart of the entire Qur'an. The entire Qur'an. The, the last comment I wanted to make before you, which is a comprehensive overview comment, the way this surah is understood as a summary of the entire Qur'an is incredible. First of all, Allah takes an oath. Are there places in the Qur'an where Allah takes an oath? Sure. This is the last of them. This is the last of them. In the series of oaths in the Qur'an, this is the final one. The second thing. When we find, in this surah, Allah says, إِنَّ insana lafi khusr. He talks about the loss of the human being. Human beings are in trouble. Is this not one of the key messages of the Prophet ﷺ? Human beings are in trouble. When he came up on the mount and he addressed the people, did he not warn them about the Day of Judgment? Did he not warn them about a danger that is coming, that they're lost, they're in trouble? This is one of the central messages of this book, of this message of Islam altogether. Then there are four exceptions. What's the first one? Iman. Iman. The Qur'an, in much of the Qur'an is talking about what? Iman. 
Then it says good deeds. Our deen, it's, there's iman and then there's what? Good deeds. And then there's the life and the struggle of the Prophet ﷺ, which is tawasi bil haq and tawasi bil sabr. So the entire manhaj, the entire methodology of Rasulullah ﷺ is captured in these four words. Anywhere you study in the Qur'an, anywhere you study in the seerah, anywhere you study in the, in the sunnah, you will find one of four things. Either you will find iman, or you'll find a'mal as-salihah, or you'll find tawasi bil haq, or you'll find tawasi bil sabr. You'll find one of these four things all over the Qur'an. Or all over the sunnah. It's a summary of the entire deen captured in very, very few words. It's miraculously beautiful. May Allah Azza wa give us a comprehensive, complete understanding of Suratul Asr and of the entire Quran. May Allah Azza wa enable us to embed its powerful message into our hearts and to be able to communicate that to others, especially family and friends, that Allah may enter it into their hearts as well. Allahumma nawwir qulubana bi nur al-Quran. Barakallahu li wa lakum fi al-Quran al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ni wa iyyakum bil-ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.